Good to see all of you this morning. If you want to grab your Bible, turn to the book of Philippians. We continue our series through the epistle that Paul wrote to the Philippian Christians, Christians in Philippi. We are looking at this morning, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And remember, the the theme of the book of Philippians is how God empowers Christians to rejoice. That it is God who is the giver of our joy. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 12. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let us pray. Lord God, help us to understand what Paul was communicating when he wrote about some who preached Christ in a way that is very different than the way he preached Christ, and how we can have joy even when haters preach the gospel. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the mid-1990s, DC Comics ran the Death of Superman story arc. Uh, I'm going to nerd out for just a minute, okay? Spoiler alert, Superman dies in the Death of Superman story arc. Uh, He dies fighting the villain Doomsday. It was a death which rang throughout the DC universe. It even made headlines in our own universe. And after his death, several other supermen arose, and they sought to take on the Superman mantle. Each had their own personal motivation for being Superman. Even a villain, the Eradicator, he pretended at being Superman for his own selfish purposes. However, as it goes in comic book universe, no one ever really stays dead forever. And after a few months, Superman came back from the dead. He dealt with the Eradicator, who had already begun a world domination scheme. And after the dust had settled, Superman confirmed the new good guy Superman, and all was right in the DC universe. Now, it's interesting how art 
really does imitate life. A greater than Superman came, lived a sinless life, died on a cross to save humankind, and rose from the dead three days later. Of course, I mean the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He lived a perfect sinless life that none of us could have lived. And he died on the cross to save sinners. His tomb, still empty to this day because he rose from the dead. And because of what Jesus did, we have the best news of all. Let me just ask, have you ever struggled with sharing this good news? I suppose we struggle with sharing the gospel for any number of reasons. We may struggle because we lack confidence in even God himself. We may struggle out of fear of anxiety caused by adversity in our lives. We may have our own personal faith struggles, unsure even ourselves of the truth of the gospel. Perhaps you've struggled with knowing whether or not God really works through you. Would you like the joy that comes from knowing God works through you? Here in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, we actually see several ways that the gospel, even when preached by haters, rivals, critics, that is a cause for rejoicing. When, when the gospel is preached, it is a cause for rejoicing. Now, before we get to the haters, and Paul did have his haters, notice verses 12 and 13. The theme of these verses is about the advance of the gospel. The gospel is making headway. It is being preached. Christ is being proclaimed. And so the gospel continued to make advances despite misfortune. Notice Paul says that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel, verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What is the misfortune that has befallen the Apostle Paul? Well, these verses make it clear that foremost in his mind is his imprisonment. Of course, we could talk about maybe his thorn in the flesh, as he talks about in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. Or perhaps his weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities that he writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as well all those that he endured. There's speculation. His eyesight was poor since he had to write with such large letters to the Galatians, Galatians 6 and verse 11. These are other trials which may have been reticent for the Apostle Paul. But at the forefront of his mind does seem to be his imprisonment. Paul may have seemed like every other prisoner that darkened a Roman cell. But soon it became clear that he suffered imprisonment, not for crimes, but for Christ. Word spread throughout the entire Praetorian Regiment, the Imperial Guard, as my English standard says. These were the guards that were attached to Nero's palace, the cohort that belonged even to Caesar's household that Paul will make reference to in chapter 4 and verse 22 here in Philippians. Word also spread to all the rest, and all the rest here seems to be Paul's way of saying even the whole city 
of Rome heard about the prisoner for Christ. And apparently they came to hear him preach, even while he was under house arrest. Luke records this in Acts chapter 28 and verse 30, how even while under house arrest, people were still coming to the house that he was in for two years. These are the misfortunes, the adverse circumstances that the Apostle Paul faced. And you know, not long ago, one of the members here said to me, we don't get out of this life without something happening to us. And that member said a mouthful. Misfortune and trials, they come from any number of places. I'm reminded of David Brainerd. Brainerd was a student at Yale. He was top he was the top student of his class, top of his class, and yet he was expelled from Yale by the rector. He was barred from ministry because he refused to make a public confession contrary to his convictions. And despite being expelled, expelled from Yale, Brainerd went on to become a successful missionary to the Native Americans in the New England area in the 18th century. Misfortune and trials come from a variety of of sources. In our text, Paul suffered imprisonment. Today, there are Christians who do suffer imprisonment for following Christ and for preaching Christ. The gospel, though, is not limited by imprisonment. It's not bound by chains. Indeed, imprisonment can be for Christ. That's what Paul says here. And at the same time, as David Brainerd shows, Imprisonment is not the only source of misfortune or trials for Christians. Obstacles present themselves in any number of circumstances or situations. Nevertheless, whether it is prison or expulsion or exclusion or whatever it is, the gospel is not hindered by circumstances or situations of misfortune. No wonder Paul affirms that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 and verse 39. And if I could just tweak that ever so slightly, nothing in all creation will hinder us from advancing the gospel of Christ Jesus. Looking around today, we're all gathered together here. None of us is currently in prison. So far. <laughs> Nevertheless, each one of us faces a variety of unfortunate circumstances. It could have to do with job not panning out, or maybe you have to resign due to stress. Perhaps you've received life-altering medical diagnoses. Maybe you're experiencing financial hardships at the present. Whatever trials or tribulations we may face, even in our misfortune, Understand this, brothers and sisters. We can glorify God by spreading the gospel right where we are. Regardless of circumstances, we can determine to be a blessing to others. We can determine to advance the gospel. Perhaps through that personal misfortune, God's at work doing something in our lives. Maybe He's taken us to new spheres of influence for a fresh harvest, as it were. A, a harvest we might not have had access to except we endure those difficult circumstances. You mean our God is that wise? Oh, yes. So Paul here shows us misfortune cannot stop the advancement of the gospel. But 
Again, what about these haters, these rivals? Can the mixed motives of others hinder the gospel? Paul, though, makes it clear in verses 15 through 18 that even due to the mixed motives of others in preaching the gospel, even though they may have mixed motives, the gospel continues to advance. And it's a very interesting text here. Who are these haters? Who are these rivals that Paul identifies here in verses 15 through 18? Who are these rivals who preached Christ from envy and rivalry? Who preached Christ not sincerely, who preached Christ even in pretense? That they are brothers in Christ, I, I, that seems evident based on verse 14, where Paul writes about how most of the brothers have been emboldened to speak the word of God without fear, based on Paul's imprisonment. Paul actually breaks that group down, most of the brethren. He breaks down in verses uh, 15 to some who preach Christ from envy and rivalry. There's your mixed motives business. That's the haters there, those who are hating on Paul. Some, and then others, who are preaching Christ from goodwill, from good motives. The temptation here is to think about these haters as the Judaizers, to kind of jump on that bandwagon. Paul will mention, talk about those Judaizers when you get to chapter 3 and verse 2. These are those who are trying to mix in the Jewish religion with their Christian faith or with Christ himself. But based on what Paul writes about them in Philippians, in Galatians especially, it doesn't seem that he would rejoice over them preaching their perverted gospel, their other gospel. But I don't think it's the Judaizers. In Philippians here, chapter 1, these, again, are brothers and it's their motives that are mixed, not the message. The message is still pure. And so it seems best to understand these rivals, these haters, as a factious group who look upon Paul's imprisonment and they think, uh-oh, this doesn't bode well for our message, right? They think that Paul's imprisonment is actually discrediting the Christian message. Their strategy seems to be one that excels in power. They exude success. And, and what they're trying to do, it seems, is they're trying to compete in a religious market in their day, which is rife with pagan teachers. And so if they can exude a certain level of power and success, yeah, you ought to follow me. That's, that can really help their efforts. But Paul, being in prison, oh man, talk about torpedoing our efforts. We're never going to gain ground hanging out with this guy. And so they denounced Paul's imprisonment. He says that they were thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment there at the end of verse 17. In short, they were pro-Christ, but anti-Paul. And so the motives may have been mixed. But again, the message was still pure. The message, the gospel, was still undiluted. And these rivals, they didn't distort or alter the gospel of Christ. They advanced a pure gospel and the phrase that Paul uses to talk about it is, they preach Christ. And, and the way that's written 
indicates that this preaching was happening even as Paul was writing. It's interesting that even those who wished Paul evil were stirred up to preach the Christ. Though their motivation was wrong, Paul rejoiced that the message of Christ went forth, and it was proclaimed. This is actually similar to what happened to the disciples during Jesus' ministry here on earth. In Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 41, the Bible there says that John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So the scene is someone was casting out demons in Jesus' name. However, the apostles, and it seems in particular John, since he's the one who speaks up, they were trying to stop this nameless disciple. And the reason for stopping him, as John says, is he wasn't following us. See, they had an us and them mentality. So since the nameless disciple was not part of the apostolic cohort, the apostles were trying to stop him. The question is, who had the mixed motives here? Who had the mixed motives for ministry in Jesus' name? Certainly not the nameless disciple. He seems to have been following Jesus in humble simplicity. It was the apostles who had the mixed motives. If you're not part of our group, then you really can't do ministry in Jesus' name. Knock it off. Stop. Jesus provides the proper perspective. Don't stop him. For the one who is not against us is for us. And that seems to be a principle that's being applied here in Paul's situation. The primary focus of the Christian should not be the perceived motives of other Christians. Whether motives are perceived as true or mixed is not what the Christian should focus on. Rather, the Christian's primary focus should be on whether or not Christ is proclaimed. If Christ is not truly proclaimed, well, then there is cause. We're coming alongside, correcting, calling them to purity in the gospel. But if Christ is truly proclaimed, the gospel is preached in all purity, and then Christians can hear Jesus say, ought to hear Jesus saying, don't stop them. Don't stop them. See, the messenger's motives were not the issue. The purity of the gospel message the messenger was proclaiming, that was the emphasis. That was Paul's emphasis. You know, it, it's so easy to hyper-focus on other Christians, to hyper-focus on their perceived motivations, or at least our perceived notion of why they're preaching the gospel. We might perceive that a brother or sister is preaching Christ from impure motives. We may even be right in our notions. However, we can and, and we ought to refuse to hyper-focus on other Christians' motivations for preaching. Instead, we can look inward. We can examine our own motivation, our own motives for preaching the gospel. We can and we should 
share the gospel and preach the gospel truly and from a true heart. Our motives are really the only thing we can control in this scenario. And at the same time, we can maintain a focus on the purity of the gospel message being proclaimed. Should we hear a, another brother or sister proclaiming a distorted gospel? Correct them by all means. Confront and call them to purity in the gospel. But if they're preaching pure gospel, true gospel, an undistorted Christ, if that's what is being advanced, then we can know that brother or sister is for Christ. We can rejoice even in that. Rejoicing that the gospel is advanced. And so not even the impure motives of others can hinder the gospel. And so Christians can rejoice at the advancement of the gospel, that it continues to go forth into the world. See, that is what ought to produce joy in the sanctified heart of the Christian. That's verse 18. That's what Paul says here. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Now notice how Paul writes this in verse 18. Paul writes, I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. The first statement of joy, when Paul says, I rejoice, he uses the present tense there. So while he is writing this epistle, as it is be being written, Paul has joy. And again, he's writing this from a Roman prison. And despite his imprisonment, despite the various trials that he faces, he says, I, I rejoice. I have joy. And then the, the second statement of joy, yes, and I will rejoice. That's actually in the future tense. And so Paul turns his attention away from the present circumstances, and he considers the future even his potential deliverance from, well, either his bonds or from his body. And that's going to be the attention that he gives in verses 19 uh, through the rest of the chapter, more or less. And, and we'll look at that next time. But what Paul, what our emphasis here is, and what his emphasis in verse 18 is, is on his joy. I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. So what brought Paul joy in the moment of his writing and, and what was it that would sustain his joy for the foreseeable future? Paul's joy was based on one thing. Christ is proclaimed. And again, the problem here is, notice, some were proclaiming Christ in pretense. Whether in pretense or in truth. And again, that's connected to what we just talked about with those mixed motives of the haters when those haters were preaching the gospel. But again, we need to understand, this is not Paul being tolerant and accepting of another gospel. We know he would never tolerate another gospel that featured another Christ. For that, we need Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. We ought to hear Paul on this, right? Galatians 1, beginning in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you 
a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And we, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Again, Paul would not brook any other Christ. And he would not accept or receive any other gospel. That's why it's important to keep in the proper perspective here that Paul is rejoicing over the full proclamation of the full gospel. The true gospel featuring the true Christ is being proclaimed. And so Paul rejoiced that Christ is proclaimed regardless of the personal motivation of the preacher, regardless of his own personal circumstances. And so joy accompanies the preaching of the gospel despite personal misfortune and despite the mixed motives of the haters. Now, this reminds me of a a noteworthy connection in the Bible. Shortest verse in the Bible, we know it, don't we? Even if we don't know the citation, over in John chapter 11, we know Jesus wept, right? Someone has pointed out, though, that while Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the English Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 16, which says in English, rejoice always, is actually shorter in the original language. You know that. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, actually shorter in the original language. Why do I bring that up? It's interesting, the connection there between Jesus wept and rejoice always. How our joy is connected to the suffering of our Lord, especially His suffering on the cross. And so through through that, I, I believe we see that even though the gospel advances through suffering, we rejoice. Paul was suffering, and yet he rejoiced because the gospel was going forth and was spreading. You know, there's a, a lot in our world that threatens the joy of Christians. You tune into the news, and you'll see turmoil from around the globe, and even now with the coronavirus and people dying from the virus. You know what, on, on second thought, don't tune into the news, right? Because all there is is so much bad news. But Christians, we do not find joy from the world. Our joy is not derived from the world. Our joy is derived from the Lord. And the gospel and its spreading is a source of joy for Christians. Even when we are confronted by a situation in which Christ is preached out of envy, rivalry, and in pretense. Or when we are faced with circumstances which are adverse, so long as Christ is preached. Christians can rejoice. It's in this way that the spreading of the gospel is a source of joy for Christians. This is because we know that when the gospel is advanced, it means the salvation of lost souls. Just as heaven rejoices over the repentance of one sinner, so Christians on earth can rejoice over that as well. And at the same time, I think about our own particular circumstances, situations here stateside. It can be discouraging for us here in America to hear the current figures about how the church is shrinking. Just look up the latest Barna or Pew Research polls and, and you'll find that Christianity is on a 
a downward trend here in the States. That may be true. Nevertheless, we can be of good cheer and we can rejoice knowing that the gospel advances the world over. In fact, the church continues to advance the gospel in places that are hostile toward Christianity. For example, in Africa, despite the oppressive persecution endured by militant terrorist groups like Boko Haram, there continue to be reports of Muslims converting to Christianity in Nigeria. In addition, we've heard ourselves from our own buddy Gray about the good work that continues in Cambodia. Dozens, and in some cases even hundreds of people in that impoverished country who had never heard the name of Jesus before, they hear the gospel and they are converted. And while church prognosticators may forecast a grim future for the church here in America, reports about the advancement of the gospel elsewhere in the world can be, should be, a source of joy for us. But it can also serve as a reminder. A reminder to us that the gospel still is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And indeed, it can make a difference right here where we live. And so we can continue to be bold with the gospel right here in our own backyard. So rejoice, fellow Christians, at the glorious advancement of the gospel. You know, we, we started with Superman. We came back and dealt with the bad guy and then commissioned the other good Supermen who had appeared after his death. He sent them out to do good deeds under the Superman name. And again, it's uncanny how art imitates life. Again, I say, a greater than Superman really came back from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has commissioned us, his disciples, to go into all the world with the best news of all, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus sends us out to do the good works of ministry and service, but to also tell good news in His name. The confidence we need to share the good news isn't derived from us and our own wit and intelligence and all that. The confidence we need to share the gospel comes from the Lord. As the gospel advances, it produces the confidence that we need. From the Lord. The gospel will continue to be spread despite our own personal misfortunes. The gospel will continue to be advanced despite the mixed motives that others may have while pro proclaiming Christ. And knowing the good news goes forth, that will produce joy in us. And all this comes from the Lord our God, who is faithful in empowering Christians not only to rejoice, but even to spread the gospel of Christ and to rejoice in its spreading. Let's commit this to prayer. Lord God, it's so easy for us to become discouraged. It's so easy on us to focus on our own circumstances and situations and kind of have a woe is me attitude 
but may we fix our eyes on you. May we fix our eyes on the glory of the gospel. May we look to you for joy, even the joy that comes from knowing that the gospel is advanced here and elsewhere. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. We've talked at some length about the spread of the gospel. And we have even worked through, just briefly, what the gospel is. Let me just put you in mind of it one more time. At the heart of the gospel is a God who loves us with an incredible love. The Father who sends His Son into the world to do what we cannot do, and that is live sinless, perfect life. To die death on the cross does do us. And as He takes His place on, as he, as he takes our place on the cross, He's dying for our sins. But of course, as we've talked about, the Son does not stay dead. Three days later, He rises from the dead and His tomb is still open and empty to this day. He's ascended back to the Father's right hand he lives and rules forevermore. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. But he also promised that there would be one who would come, another helper like unto him, who would come into the world and who would convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, the Holy Spirit, who is working in perfect concert and harmony with the Father and the Son to apply the complete finished work of atonement to individuals today. Maybe, my friend, you are experiencing the conviction that comes from God over recognizing that your sins have caused a separation between you and God. Jesus is the one who has bridged the gap. Jesus is the one who can fully remove all of our sin so that we can have fellowship with God. In a moment, when Eric comes forward to lead our song, that will be your opportunity, my friend, to come forward and express how you desire to have the blood of Jesus wash away all of your sin. You believe that Jesus is exactly who He claimed to be. And you wish to turn away from sin and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Well and good, all of this culminates, my friend, in being baptized. In the watery grave of baptism, all of our sins are washed away. We receive the Holy Spirit and we are raised to live new life with God. If you've not yet done that, my friend, in a moment, just come forward and express your desire to do that. Many of us, most of us, we've done that. And as you evaluate your own life, is there something in your life that is hindering you in your walk with God? Something that needs to be eliminated, done away with. Something that is well, it's not producing the good things that God would have for you. In a moment, you know when Eric comes and leads us, that's your opportunity as well to come forward and express these things and, and seek the help that comes from God to have these things eliminated from your life so that you can enjoy fellowship with God. Again, it's the blood of Jesus that continues to cleanse us throughout our life. Maybe it's related to what we've talked about this morning. You, maybe you've been too judgmental. Maybe, maybe you've not been doing what you can in order to share the gospel with others. 
whatever it is, you, you have experienced the conviction that comes from God. In a moment, again, you know when Eric leads us, come forward and express these things that are on your heart. Share them. We'll, we'll surround you with love and we'll lift you up to our Father in heaven. It may be something altogether different. It could be something emotional or, or mental or physical. Again, the invitation is open for you as well. You can come forward and share these things and we'll do the same thing. Surround you with love and lift you up in prayer for the help that comes from God. Maybe you need, maybe it's something deeply personal and you need a private setting to share in, in a one-on-one -on -one situation. One of our shepherds will be available in the conference room. Just make your way over to the conference room and you can share there in the privacy with one of our shepherds the thing that's on your heart. You can unburden yourself there. You'll do the same thing there. Surround you with love. Lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven. The lesson is yours. The invitation is open. Won't you come right now while we stand and as we sing? Song number.